This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. Do you know what your purpose is? Have you thought much about it? My guest today has, and she is on a mission to help people discover their own purpose to live a more joyful life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz. The unexpected personal and professional journey my guest has taken from the depths of depression to living a life of joy and how she got there might surprise you. Patrice Tanaka, welcome to my podcast, and may I say aloha. (laughs) Aloha, Liz. I'm so excited to be here and to know that you also have a Hawaii upbringing story. I do. We moved there when I was less than a year old, and we lived there till I was 10 years old. So I feel like we're already kindred spirits, Patrice. (laughs) You know, I think it's very interesting that whether it was the pandemic or people were already assessing their lives, many began to question, why are they here? What is their purpose? How do they live with purpose? And I know you are such a firm believer in discovering our purpose being paramount to us living our best lives. Why is knowing our purpose so important? Because it's important to have clarity about our life and leadership purpose. Because if we do, it can focus and drive us to achieve what we feel is most important in our one very brief and precious life. So clarity is key. Hmm. You are a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded three award-winning marketing firms prior to starting your current company, which is Joyful Planet, a business and life strategy consultancy. What is your mission? To work with as many of the 7.9 billion people on this planet to help them leverage their talent, their passion, their expertise in service of other people and our planet. And if they do this, they will unleash tremendous success, fulfillment, and joy in their personal lives and, importantly, help to create a more joyful planet. I love that. You know, we probably have some listeners, Patrice, because we're all around the world, which I love, who are probably saying, okay, sure, I'd love to know what my purpose is. So how do you go about helping people discover their life purpose? Well, because I am a serial entrepreneur, and when you have a business, it's all about being as efficient as possible. So I have, of course, researched many different ways that people come to discover their life and leadership purpose. And I wanted to do it in the most uh, efficient way possible. So I actually developed an 11-question questionnaire. The fewest number of questions that have someone answered those questions fully, it guided them to write the first iteration of their life purpose statement. And if they return that completed questionnaire to me, I can help them finalize, tighten up, and really polish up their life purpose statement so it's succinct because it's important for it to be succinct Mm -hmm. so you can memorize it and recite it to yourself and be able to freely share it Mm -hmm. uh, without even thinking. And a lot of people can't actually get a life purpose statement to that point, to that finalized point. And again, for me, finalizing a life purpose statement is the point where the person feels that 
this statement is accurate and it's inspiring and it's galvanizing to them because they're going to have to embrace that my purpose statement in order to really actively want to live it and to actively live it to unleash all of the good stuff that results from discovering and actively living your life purpose, Mm. success, fulfillment, and joy. And that to me is the end game. I love trying that. to get everybody to that point. Yeah. <laughs> the 7.9 billion people on the planet, right? <laughs> as many as possible. As many right? as possible. <laughs> I know discovering your own life purpose took a very interesting path. And starting back in 2002, you were in a very difficult place in your life. What was going on? And share with us the pivotal moment which literally changed the trajectory of your life. Actually, it was February 2002, about five months after 9-11. And like most people in New York and in the U.S., I was still reeling from the shock and the horror of that day. Plus, I'm living in New York City. My business is or was, the agency was in New York City. And we could actually see one of the towers from one of the windows in our office just recovering from that was just very difficult. And I'm somebody who has a lot of energy, but I was finding it difficult to even get out of bed. And I'm the CEO of a small PR firm, and that's not a really good idea. You you can't get out of bed. Plus, I was exhausted from building my first PR agency with 12 partners over the previous 12 years. And I was very, I was exhausted caring for a husband who had been battling a brain tumor for 16 years by that point. And then I was just out of gas from uh, trying to be there for everyone, including civic and professional organizations that were important for my agency to be supportive of. So I decided to go to an executive coach for help because I knew that it wasn't getting better. And the coach said, yes, I can help you, but I need you to do one thing for me first. And that is I need you to rethink your purpose in life. And when I heard that, I was just really annoyed because I just (laughs) finished telling her I was so exhausted. I couldn't even get out of bed. And she said, I hear you, but I need you to summon the energy to do this very important thing. Because if you can tell me what your life purpose is, I can help you live that purpose and you will feel better. So because I couldn't get out of this assignment, I brainstormed with myself over the next two weeks. I showed up at my next coaching session having brainstormed quite a bit. And I said, okay, I've really considered and rejected many life purpose statements. But this is the only one that doesn't seem like a lot of BS to me right now. So I shared with her that my purpose in life was simply to choose joy in my life every day to be mindful of that joy and to share that joy with others. It was a simple three-part purpose, right? Choose joy, be mindful of it, and share it with others. And I felt that if I could live my life this way every day, I think I could be good to go, even if I were one of those people caught short in the Twin Towers on 9-11. As soon as I shared that purpose with my coach, She immediately asked me the question that I was not prepared to answer, which was, so what brings you joy? And I was so taken aback because (laughs) that was the opposite of what my life was at the moment, right? If, If I had to characterize it, my life was unjoy, but I wanted to get myself from unjoy to joy. And that's why I came up with this purpose statement because I figured, 
okay, let's break down the steps for how I would get from unjoy to joy. And I decided, first, you've got to choose joy. Then you've got to be mindful of it because we do have a lot of joy in our lives. But if we're not mindful of it, it's like we didn't have any. And then you've got to share joy with others. You can't hoard it because the more you share, the more abundance, the more joy you create for yourself and others. She asked me, so what brings you joy? And I was, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just <laughs> know that I'm not joyful. She said, just name me anything that has brought you joy in the past or that brings you joy just thinking about it. Without even thinking, I said, well, I love to dance. And she said, so have you taken dance lessons? I said, no. And then I told her about when I was eight years old growing up on Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire films that my dream was to dance like Ginger Rogers. And I was living in Hawaii at the time. And Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire were seemed to be living in Manhattan and dancing every night at swank supper clubs. And she was in her long, flowy and feathery evening gowns. And he was debonair, dressed in, you know, top hat and tails all the time. So I thought, well, if I could just get myself to New York, then I could be dancing in the arms of Fred Astaire. So, <laughs> so anyway, as soon as I told her that I had dreamt of dancing like Ginger Rogers since I was eight years old, and she said, and you've never taken a dance lesson since then? I said, no. She said, okay, your homework assignment is you have to book yourself a dance lesson before our next coaching session in two weeks. So a half an hour before my next coaching session, I'm on the phone trying to book myself a dance lesson. So that's how I got started doing ballroom dance. I love that story. I guess the hula in Hawaii didn't quite cut it for you. <laughs> yeah, Not no, no, no. Not when you Not compare it to Ginger Rogers. No, and no, Fred no. <laughs> so you, you book yourself this lesson. You're over the age of 50 when you take this first lesson. I'm 50, yeah. As many of the listeners of my show know, I started my first ballroom dance lessons the summer of 2021, competed in my only first competition a year later thus far. Amazing oh, experience. Wow. But I know the feeling that you talk about. It's like your head and your feet are totally disconnected from, your, from one another, right? <laughs> right. But I know you went on to compete, not only competing and dancing, but you go on to become a championship dancer. That is extraordinary. How, I mean, simply if you can, how'd you go from that first lesson to that competition to now being a championship dancer? Even though that first lesson, and I'm sure you can attest to this, was the most awkward thing ever. Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> learning it as an adult, yes. right? And if you've never had any dance training, you know, you don't know that the steps are connected, the movements are connected. You're just trying to do every step and every movement in a disconnected way. So, but even then, I was like so exhilarating. I'm finally learning how to do the foxtrot. That's the first dance that I learned. And then I got hooked. I started taking more dance lessons. I performed at the studio showcase only because my teacher said if I did, he would choreograph a samba routine for me. And I loved the samba. After that showcase, I was like, so fueled with adrenaline. It was terrible, but I felt so excited that I'd done something like that. I said, when is the next showcase? And he said, well, not until six more months. I said, I can't wait that long. He said, well, there's a small dance competition called the New York Dance Festival. Maybe we'll dance there. I said, okay. I didn't really understand it was a competition. I just thought I was going to do the same thing like I did in the showcase. And so when, when I get on the floor, I say to him, 
why are all these other people on the floor at the same time? (laughs) It's a whole nother world. It really is. But clearly you felt joy. And what I love about this too is that you have incorporated that whole dancing experience into your book. Now you've contributed chapters to a couple of other books, one with our mutual friend who's renowned international speaker and coach Brian Tracy. You've also contributed to a book that Richard Branson did, but your own book is becoming Ginger Rogers, How Ballroom Dancing May Be a Happier Woman, Better Partner, and Smarter CEO. I truly enjoyed reading it. Connect the dots for us, though, Patrice, of how does ballroom dancing help you in business? Thank you. I mean, after I'd been dancing and competing for, I don't know, four or five years, Throughout that period, I was jotting down uh, notes that my teacher would say to me. And one day I'm looking at all these notes and I'm thinking, these seem like life lessons, not just dance lessons. Mm-hmm. So, And then I thought, I wonder if there's a book in the lessons that I learned from ballroom dancing that extend far beyond the dance floor. So that was kind of the thinking that got me to think maybe I could, you know, write a book because the reason, the only reason that I wrote the book was I did a check-in with myself. Okay, I'm choosing joy. I'm being mindful of all that joy. But am I sharing joy with others? I know mm. I'm getting a lot of joy. I don't know if I'm sharing it. So that's what made me think, maybe I'll write a book to share the lessons that I learned from ballroom dancing. That's why I wrote the book. I didn't realize that one of the big lessons that I learned was the value of close partnering, right? On the dance floor and off the dance floor. And in fact, it was one of my colleagues who said to me, look, if you hadn't taken ballroom dancing, you could never have considered selling our agency to create a bigger agency. Because after 15 years of building PT and company, and we were very successful. We were all exhausted after 9-11 and the mm-hmm. dot-com boom and bust. And I could tell that my fellow shareholders, we were just limping along. So I felt that maybe if we sold to a, a like-minded PR agency together, we could grow and have, you know, double our resources and create a bigger agency. So that's what happened. And again, if I hadn't taken ballroom dancing, he's right. I would never have sold the agency Mm. and considered not being the CEO of our combined agency. But you know, as well as I do, that the role of leader and follower are equally important. You cannot win if one is weak and the other is strong. It doesn't matter how strong the, the leader is if the follower isn't equally strong. So I really got the importance of both roles. So I figured well, I'll just be the vice chair and the creative director and I'll just support our CEO. I want to make sure I'm going to sell to somebody that I really like. The lesson from ballroom dancing helped me to grow my business. So actually after that, we created CRT Tanaka and sold that eight years later to another employee-owned agency and created Padilla CRT, which when we created it in uh, September 2013, I think it was, It was one of the top 10 largest independent PR firms in the country and the largest employee-owned PR agency with 240 employee owners. One of the things that you write about in your book is that you admitted that you were a perfectionist and that fear of failure had always (laughs) driven you to overwork yourself and even micromanage people. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have now developed a very different relationship with the F word. And the F word in this case is failure. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, what a, the same uh, partner who said, you know, if you hadn't taken ballroom dancing, you could never have sold our agency and not been the CEO. His nickname for me was Ayatollah Tanaka because I was, I was a terror. Not to make other people feel bad, but just because if clients hired us, you know, it was our obligation to do our best work. And so I was not somebody who accepted good enough work. It had to be great work, only to honor the commitment that we had to clients. A lot of people, a lot of women are focused on achieving perfection, right? And my dance teacher said, look, in dancing, there's no such thing as achieving perfection. Perfection, you, you need to think of it as a direction, not a destination. You're never going to achieve perfection, but every day we work harder to get closer to it. So think about perfection as a direction and not a destination you'll ever achieve. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, it really shifted a lot of things in me. It's like, yes, I'm, I always do my very best. Yeah, I'm not going to drive myself and other people crazy with, <laughs> we've got to achieve perfection. <laughs> you know, I'm curious, Patrice, as you think back on your life, did you ever imagine that this is where it would take you? No, I really can't believe it. And it continues to this day. In fact, the last two and a half years of pandemic, racial injustice, riots, insurrection, increasing polarization of America and increasing anti-Asian hate, have been actually the most productive and positive couple of years of my life. And only because all I did during the pandemic was just focused on actively living my purpose. Yes, of course, I was aware of everything else happening externally. But that's the thing with the life purpose is that it will focus and drive you to achieve what you feel is most important. So you're very inner directed and driven and not so susceptible to everything else that's happening externally. I saw a lot of people struggling during the pandemic because they didn't have a purpose to be able to mm. focus on. Instead, they were focusing on every bad turn, every negative story, every terrible event that happened. And there were many that could derail you. Yes. Many people did get derailed. Your company is called Joyful Planet, a business and yes. life strategy consultancy. Patrice, you mentioned the questionnaire uh, for people, and I want to let people know that they can get that on your website, which is joyfulplanet.com, joyfulplanet.com, and we will have that website in our show notes. So again, thank you for all you are doing to spread joy to help others live their life purpose. It's been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much, Liz, and aloha, and aloha to all of your listeners. It was a pleasure. And aloha. Thanks to all of you for listening. I've shared this quote from my mom before, but I think it's a really good one to share again today. The goal of living is to be able to absorb all of the pain of life and lose none of the joy. May you all find joy. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and 
fast twitch media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.